Hello and welcome to another episode of Small Town Sports Talk. I'm Jonah Freeman, a big Colts fan. So for our Colts listeners, we have a very special guest for you today, Andrew. Yep, a huge Colts fan over here too. And we, we are really proud to welcome. He's worked with uh, 107.5 and 1070 The Fan since 2008. He's been, he was a sideline reporter for the Indianapolis Colts starting in 2013. And as of last season, he's heading into his second season as the full-time radio voice of the Indianapolis Colts. We're proud to welcome Mr. Matt Taylor. Guys, thanks for having me. How are you guys doing today? Good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. This is cool. I appreciate it. First question uh, we, we want to ask, we've asked everybody, because obviously this is not a normal time with the pandemic. How are you and how is your family? We are doing really, really good. Um, we have, uh, I have two kids, wife and two kids, and uh, daughter who is three, and then we just had a baby boy on March 31st, so a handful of weeks into uh into quarantine, so to speak. So he's about two months old now, uh, but we have literally zero complaints. I mean, life is different. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I'm home most of the time working. And when I'm done with work, I can go right back to just being a dad. So it's incredibly, um, it's incredibly, you know, we're, we're very fortunate right now to be in the position that we're in and compared to some cases and some, you know, some folks we're, we're doing all, we're doing really good. So we, we're not complaining over here. We're just trying to get through it like everybody else. Hopefully there's an end to this soon, but uh, we're just keeping our heads down and doing the best we can with no complaints. Glad to hear it. And congratulations. Appreciate that. Thank you. Um, not everyone can say they're the voice of the Colts or the voice of any major league franchise. As far as your job, what does that, like, what do you do on a day-to-day basis, and how has that changed due to COVID? Um, nothing's really changed job-wise. Um, the only difference is, obviously, like I said, I'm working from home. Normally, I would be at the Colts Complex on the west side of Indianapolis. And there, um, you know, my office, so to speak, is like a, a radio studio. Um, it essentially is like an audio studio that I work out of. So we've had to uh, kind of pivot and shift and, and do everything remotely, kind of like what we're doing now. So it's been a little bit of a challenge, but um, to be honest with you, I've, I've kind of gotten used to it and I, I'm a tech, tech guy and I like, you know, finding new ways to do things and finding maybe some improvements on some of our processes. And so that's been kind of the silver lining in all of this is, you know, we've, we've found ways to do things remotely and we haven't skipped a beat. Um, we're still churning out content. And I guess, you know, one of the things that, that people don't know or maybe they don't understand is I, I am the voice of the Colts, yes, but I'm also, you know, overseeing our entire audio department, so to speak, our entire radio uh, department. So from a content standpoint, um, you know, if, if you just – long story short, if you just – if you think of a radio station – you know, you've got the talent, you've got the program director, you've got the, the producers, uh, you got people that, that traffic the spots and research the shows and do the imaging and all that. I am, I am all those things essentially for Colts radio. I'm, I'm doing all of those jobs for our, our content. Um, so it's kind of a jack of all trades job. So before I was doing all of that, um, I was doing everything but call the game. Now I'm calling the game. So essentially my fingerprints are, they're all, they're over everything you hear coming out of your car speakers. If you're listening to a Colts game while you're traveling, 
Um, you know, you name it, I, I probably touched it in some way. Um, so it, it, it's no day is like any other day before, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a industry. It's a job that changes pretty fast, um, which is good and bad, but it's one of those things where, you know, I'm not working for a living. I, I enjoy doing what I do. I don't feel like I'm at work. I get to talk about sports. I get to talk about football and get paid to do it. Um, so mm-hmm. in that regard, I'm incredibly blessed and, and incredibly fortunate to have this job and, uh, do it in my, you know, in, in a market that I grew up in for a team I grew I grew up rooting for just like you guys. So it's, it's not something that's, um, lost on me and it's something I, I, I sure as heck don't take for granted. Yeah. Absolutely. You're living the dream. <laughs> well, we've got a five tool player here. And if you tune in to the Indianapolis radio network, you'll hear this guy on Sundays. Um, but how do you see, uh, COVID affecting the NFL season and affecting your job? Because we've seen like the South, South Korean baseball league and even, uh, Mr. Jane's, who we interviewed last week, that they aren't actually at the stadium uh, calling games. So what is the NFL going to be doing differently in the fall to get back, and how will that affect you? I, I, I think we don't know yet. I think we're still waiting to find out. Um, you know, you hear a bunch of stuff, whether it's going to be games with no fans or 50% fans or 15% fans. I think it's still, you know, all up in the air. I think, you know, this, this stuff – changes so dramatically day by day. So to sit here and kind of predict uh, what things are going to look like in late August and September ahead of the regular season is just, it's pretty much impossible. Um, So, you know, but from a mental standpoint, um, I've kind of prepared myself for, you know, being in a stadium that's not at capacity. Maybe there's no fans at all. I think that would be incredibly weird. It would, it would take a big time adjustment because, I mean, you guys know, you know, calling games and, and wanting to get into this, the the crowd and the atmosphere is like part of the game. It's it's uh, it's another layer to your broadcast and you try to incorporate it and use it to your advantage as much as possible. So that would uh, that would certainly take some getting used to. Um, I personally hope they don't, you know, they, let, let's just say hypothetically, there's no fans allowed in the stadium. I personally hope they don't pump in crowd noise. I think that would sound cheesy and gimmicky. You know, mm-hmm. they might do it on the TV broadcast and that's fine. Um, but I think that would, I don't know. I just think it would be really, really corny if they did that in the stadium. Um, and, and, and that might open up some other opportunities to get some things you don't normally get. You know, if there's no crowd noise, you know, we've got crowd mics, we've got sideline mics. Maybe we can amplify those a little bit more. Maybe we can get the cadence of the line of scrimmage. Maybe we can get some checks, uh, on the sideline. Maybe we can get guys just talking to each other on the field and communicating together on the field a little bit more to kind of take the audience and all of us as fans closer to the action. That might be kind of a blessing in all of this, at least for one year. And let's knock on wood that it's that it's uh, only for just this year with the COVID stuff. But yeah, I mean, I have, I have mentally prepared for that. But again, we're a long way from knowing for sure what the landscape is, is going to look like as far as fans being in the stadiums for NFL games next season. So you say you're not a fan of the uh, the crowd noise. Well, no, I don't think so. I just think it would sound corny. I mean, I just, it would just yeah. sound a little, it, in my mind, it's just a little gimmicky. And I think you open up Pandora's box a little bit. So let's say, for instance, the NFL says, 
for, for you know home teams what they can do is they can pump in crowd noise at a certain level at a decibel level well that I mean who's going to monitor that who's i mean then you're going to have a bunch of finger pointing going well the eagles their stadium their their stadium sounds louder than the colts you know it's like how are you going to regulate that so for me i just think you should you know home field advantage should consist of the road team has to travel and that's the disadvantage and and that should be the extent of it no crowd noise in my opinion who are we trying to fool here anyways um <laughs> i just think it would sound a little a little corny in my opinion Mm-hmm. Well, wh- what did you think about the the NFL draft, how they had fans like over Zoom or uh, conference in and yeah, they were able to be heard? Yeah, I thought that was really cool. I thought it was awesome. Okay. You know, I mean, you had you had everybody pivoting and shifting and, and trying to figure out how to pull this off. And I'm really glad the NFL did because I thought it was important to get all of these rookies with their teams so that they can be acclimated as as best as possible. I know they're not on the field, but at least they can get in the playbook. They can be in these meetings. You know, had we had we pushed back the draft to you know end of May or beginning of June, I mean that's that's a month month and a half of time that that guys aren't with their team, uh, you know, virtually. And you know, say what you want, I still think you can get a lot done virtually. You know, with with classroom work and playbook study and things like that. It's not the same, but you got to do what you got to do. Um, but I thought it was really cool what they did, incorporating, you know, 200 cameras and shots of uh, coaches and GMs in their living rooms or their kitchens or wherever and interacting with their family while they're making picks. And you got the cameras uh, at the draft picks homes and their raw reactions after their name, their, their names were called. So I think there's something to be said for kind of the simplicity of how it looked. You know, at the end of the day, I know. You know, it's kind of a traveling road show. It's in Chicago and Philadelphia and Nashville. And this year it was going to be in Las Vegas. And 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 I, I understand why they've made a spectacle out of it. And it's a big, you know, big marketing tool. It's the off-season marquee event. But at the end of the day, it's it's an administrative deal. You know, you don't need all that pomp and circumstance to pull off the draft. It's kind of a, you know, you could you could do the draft if you wanted to on an Excel spreadsheet. And that's how simple it is, really. Um, so I liked what they did and I think there's some lessons to be learned for this, like simple sometimes is better. And I wouldn't be surprised that if, if we get back to a normal year in 2021 with the draft in in Las Vegas, maybe they incorporate some of the things they did this year, um, with all the different cameras and technology that they pulled off seamlessly in a short amount of time. I was really, really impressed with ESPN's ability to make it all work, make it all happen without a glitch. And we did some of that same stuff, not to that extent on TV, but you know, we had a draft radio show of our own and we were kind of scrambling at the last minute to figure out everything tech, uh, from a tech standpoint, we got it done. And quite honestly, it was a lot of fun. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so oh, taking a step back, uh, your childhood, who were your role models growing up, uh, in broadcasting? Yeah. And broadcasting, you know, just to give you the complete backstory on, on me, you know, I, I guess I was blessed uh, at an early age to understand what I wanted to do when I was eight or nine years old. You know, I was kind of drawn to sports. I was a pretty good athlete in you know high school and you know played college football and, um, but realized I wasn't going to go anywhere with it. You know, professionally speaking, but I just sure. I felt like I I felt like I understood you know games, basketball and baseball and football, and I understood you know, kind of how to communicate it a little bit. 
So what I started doing really at an early age, I just started listening to as many games as possible. And being in this market in you know, the Indianapolis area, you area, you've got some really, really good guys to kind of learn from and, uh, and, and to kind of model yourself after Mark Boyle with the Pacers, Don Fisher with IU, Joe McConnell at the time was uh, doing Purdue football. Um, you know, you had Bob Lamey with the Colts. I mean, there's, that's some star power right there. Guys that are really, really good. So what I started doing was any chance I got, I listened to as many games as possible. And I, I, I listened so much and so intently, you know, some of the, some of my buddies and, you know, people that work with me, they'll, they'll be able to tell you a little bit that I, I listened so often that I, I could impersonate these guys, not only in terms of like how they sounded, their voice, their inflection, but like I, I could talk like them too. Like I could pretend I was them and use, you know, their vocabulary and their vernacular on, on how they describe things. That's, that's how serious I was about it. And, and I was that 10 year old kid that would sneak in a transistor radio, uh, at night and stay up and, um, listen to Monday night football, uh, unbeknownst to his parents. So I just tried to consume as much as possible because I wanted to understand how a game was supposed to sound and, and what made it good and what kind of separated it from other guys. And, um, you know, it's, I was kind of an outlier growing up, like most kids wanted to, you know, get together to, to watch football and, you know, watch the games on HD TVs, that kind of thing where I was perfectly fine listening to a game on the radio because there's just something about, you know, the imagination of it and the responsibility of the play-by-play guy to give the listener, um, you know, cues and to be the, 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 the audience's eyes and ears and to paint that mental picture. I just think that's fascinating. So, you know, I, I grew up listening to all those guys and, you know, I still to this day take things from, from uh, guys that I hear I'm like, yeah, I like the way he did that. Or I like the way he set that up, or I like the way he described this. So I'm kind of a melting pot of, and I think we all are. I think we're a melting pot of things we like guys we like and, we kind of formulate all of those things and, and mold it into our own style. Right. And I want to stick with your childhood. You were a multi-sport athlete in high school. Did yep. you know from the beginning that football was how you wanted to go about broadcasting or was it just kind of a, whatever you can take? Yeah, it was, I mean, football was my, it was my favorite sport. It was my best sport as an athlete. Um, but I didn't, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I'm I'm going to be a football play-by-play guy and that's right. it. No, it was Yeah, I mean, when I when I went to college, I mean, I I immersed myself into all the things that um I went to Franklin College, which is a small, you know, D3 school, you know, 35 miles south of Indianapolis. Um sorry, my computer just went out. Um but yeah, I I really jumped right in and all the different things that uh that the station on campus afforded me, you know, from, from day one, I was able to do girls basketball and boys basketball. We had music shifts, new shifts. Uh, by the end of it, I was the GM of the, the campus radio station. Um, so for me, it, it didn't matter that I wasn't at a division one school or calling division one games in college. It just mattered that I was getting opportunities. I was behind the mic. And I was learning from my mistakes. I was making a ton of mistakes. But you listen back to the tapes and you get better and you learn how to prepare. 
and then your preparation makes you better. That that's the biggest thing I learned. It was like if if I'm if I want to do this professionally, I need to get practice. I need to get as much practice as possible and go into a small school and I'm not I'm not saying there wasn't other people that, you know, wanted to do what I you know, what I'm doing now at a small school, but I like to think, you know, my my seriousness, my passion for it, my dedication for it kind of separated me from some of my classmates. You know, some of the classmates, they weren't interested in, you know, driving to Defiance, Ohio or, uh, you know, Bluffton or or Manchester for a Wednesday night girls basketball game. But I jumped at that opportunity because it just meant I had more opportunities to get better, more chances to learn and more times behind the mic. Um, that's that's the way I looked at it. Um, so, you know, out of college, I wanted to be play-by-play professionally. It didn't matter if it was football, basketball, baseball. Um, I just wanted any opportunity to do play-by-play because that, that's what I saw for myself at a really young age. Yep, that, that's what my, my teachers have always preached is to just jump on any opportunity you can get. Uh, and But real quick, I want to touch on, you're, you played uh, basketball, baseball, and football at Ron Tolley before going to Franklin College for football. Um, what was it like winning two state championships in high school and football? It was really cool. It was really cool. Um, you know, both years we won state titles in 02 and 03. Uh, they were 4A titles at the time. And both years we started off really, really poor. We had a really tough schedule. Um, we started off 0-3 my junior year and 0-4 my senior year. Um, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like what Cathedral does or what Shatar does. You know, they play a really difficult regular season, but it kind of makes you better and it 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 toughens mm-hmm. you up a little bit and it builds up some adversity. You go go through some trials so that when you are towards the end of the regular season and then you start playoffs, nothing seems insurmountable. Nothing seems to be a big deal. And I think that kind of helped us a little bit, but you know, at the time we played some epic games in the playoffs against East Central, which is a, a school down by Cincinnati and Lawrenceburg. We had some good games against them. You know, both years we had to go through them on the road, played them twice in overtime, won both games. So that was really cool. And at the time, you know, the state finals were played at the RCA Dome. Um, so, I mean, just looking back on those memories and that time as a kid, it's just something that, like, you don't you don't realize at the time when you're 16, 17, 18 years old that like not everybody gets to play at the RCA Dome and the fact that we got to do it twice in two years to play for state championships. Like looking back on it now, you know I'm 33, 34 years old. Like that, that's that's pretty cool. And um, you know those those are memories and you know those, that's a time in my life that I'll never forget. And you're playing. I mean, you guys know playing uh, high school sports and you know going to practice every day and all the time and the dedication you, you put to your, to your sport. I mean, it it just, it just kind of all paid off in the end. And, uh, it's kind of a story of if you buy in, do it the right way, work really hard, things pay off for you. And it's, uh, it's a time in my life that I look back on now with my best friends, uh, that I still talk to, to this day, the fact that we can share that what we're always going to have those memories is, is pretty, pretty priceless. That's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, growing up in Indiana, being a Colts fan, uh, going on to win those two state championships as a Ron Tolley Rebel, playing college football at Franklin College, did 
you ever imagined yourself as the voice of the Indianapolis Colts? Did you ever think that was a possibility? Well, I mean, I, I mean, yes, but in and that and that's not to sound like narcissistic or or ego. I mean, that's just what I always saw for myself. That's always what I wanted to do. So if if I didn't see those things for myself, then then they never would have happened. So I think it's more of a story of like drive and passion. And I really want this. So I'm going to do everything I can to go after it, to make it happen. And, you know, like the odd, like, let's just, let's just be real. Like the odds of a kid from central Indiana that grew up 15 minutes away from downtown Lucas oil stadium to stay in his home market, to, to call games, be the voice of a team that he grew up rooting for. Like we said, it's like one in a million. Right. So, Mm -hmm. but that being said, like, I didn't really have a plan B like plan B in the sense, like I, I, what I always saw for my career was something in sports radio, ideally play by play. Right. So it was all about how do I get there and how do I set myself up to be in position to get a job like that? So, I mean, long story short in 2012, I got an opportunity to, to work for the Colts to handle all of their production needs, handle all of their radio network, operation stuff. It wasn't play by play, but it was a foot in the door. And I understood how things worked. I understood the Colts own their, you know, own the broadcast. They decided who the broadcasters were. They had all the inventory on it. So it's like, okay, I'm going to take this position so that I can get my foot in the door, build up some equity, um, show my versatility, show my loyalty so that one day, if, if the job becomes available and it becomes open, I will be in a good spot to have a chance at it. Now, obviously you got to go out and earn it and you got to be, you got to get lucky. You got to be at the right place at the right time. There's no doubt about that, but you have to best position yourself to, to get jobs like that. And I think that's kind of the moral of my story is if you just work hard, put, put your head down, do the best you can be a good teammate, or in this case, you know, be a good employee uh, show some skill, show some versatility, and show your loyalty and you know your your faith to the team or the organization. Um, then you know some things, some good things might come your way. But that being said, you you've got to put in the time and you got to do some of the dirty work to prove your worth and to prove you're you know worthy of of being given an opportunity. Right, Andrew and you had both mentioned how long you've been with the Colts. You've done a lot with them. And Andrew and I were talking earlier about like some of our favorite Colts memories, and one that really stuck out for us was that 2013, uh, the playoff comeback with uh, Andrew Luck and Ty and all those guys. I gotta ask, do you have like a Colts memory that sticks out above some of the others? Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, some epic games for for me that that game's right up there. That 2013 comeback game. I mean, I just saw some highlights of that game just the other day. I mean, just the. Re- some remarkable throws by Andrew Luck in that game. And then the fumble by Donald Brown that uh, bumps right back in Andrew Luck's lap and he, you know, Superman's into the end zone. I mean, that was epic. So that game's up there. The the Denver game when Manning came back for the first time in a Broncos uniform, that was pretty electric. The Packers game in 2012 after the diagnosis of Chuck Pagano with leukemia and then uh, the comeback in that game and Reggie Wayne's heroics, that's up there. Uh, the fourth and one game on the 20 yard line in 2009 with the Patriots, that's up there. Um, 
the Chiefs game from this past year. That was a lot of fun on Sunday Night Football. Yeah, um, but I, I would probably say, yeah, I mean, I would say my favorite memory so far, and it's just on a personal level, was the playoff game, um, twenty eighteen, the wild card game against the uh, the Texans. And it's like I said, it's very personal. And the reason is that was the first game I did after I found out that the the so-called interim tag was being taken off me in terms of being the you know play-by-play voice of the team. So I felt like that game I had a little bit more juice. I was a little bit more, you know, myself because I didn't have, you know, the weight of of that kind of hanging in the balance on me. I knew that the job was mine, so I felt a little bit more free. I don't know if it translated into a better broadcast or not, but I, I think, you know, internally, mentally, uh, it, I just I just felt good about that game. Plus the Colts won. It was a lot of fun. You know, first playoff win for Frank Reich. So I think sentimentally that game will always have a, a special place in my heart. Of course. Sure. Yeah, that had to have been a good feeling. How about uh, a favorite Colts memory uh, from growing up in Indianapolis? Hmm. Well, I think there's – the Brandon Stokely game, you know, where Manning threw the uh, his 49th touchdown pass. I think that was 2003. That was a big game. That was a big moment in my childhood. The 95 team was always fun. That kind of captured the heart of of Central Indiana because, you know, before that, you know, I think the Colts had only made the playoffs once since they moved in 1984. So you're talking 11 years later and not much success. And then they go on this magical run to the AFC championship game and arguably should have won that game had it not been for Cordell Stewart stepping out of bounds and coming back in, but I'm over it. I'm over it. Clearly. Uh, yeah. Um, so that, that was kind of a fun year. Um, and then of course, you know, like growing up in high school and college you had all those epic games against the Patriots in the 12 and four years routinely. And that's what, that's what we kind of take for granted now is, you know, the Colts are in this stretch here where they've missed the playoffs five out of the last or four out of the last five years, uh, under 500 record, two out of the last three. And, you know, who's going to be the longtime franchise quarterback? I mean, we take those years for granted because it just seemed like it was routine for them to win 12 games, make the playoffs, win the division, host the playoff game. And it's just not like that in the NFL. Like that was so rare and so unique, but we got so used to it and kind of spoiled around here watching that, you know, that uh, core uh, of great players like Manning and Wayne and Harrison and Edron James and Mathis and Freeney and the list kind of goes on and on. Dallas Clark. So um, that was kind of that was my recollection of Colts football when I was, you know, 12 to 18 years old of, of Manning every year, just carving up the AFC South and going to the playoffs. Right. Uh, I want to move on a little bit towards this year's roster because the Colts have made a lot of moves and I've seen a lot of different opinions. I've heard four wins. I've heard going 500 with eight wins. And I've also heard that this may be the most talented roster the Colts have had since Manning. Where do you view this team and why do you personally feel the expectations are just kind of all over the place? <laughs> Who said they're going to win four games? I'm curious where you read that. A lot, a lot of websites online, just all over the place. <laughs> Um, well, I'm a little bit more positive than four games, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> me too. Me too. I, yeah, I've got this team. I mean, I don't know about wins and losses, but I mean, just in terms of like how the team is, has, uh, been built and how it's been constructed, it is solid. And it's funny. We are talking about that right now because Frank Reich this week actually 
spoke to the media and uh, shared a story on how he's just kind of like looking holistically at the roster. And he just out of the blue texted Chris Ballard, the GM, and said, man, this, this roster is good. It's, it's put together well. We didn't reach. We didn't, you know, overspin. We didn't do anything crazy to put it together. It's just it's in a really good place right now, the 90-man roster. And I think he's right. You know, looking at it right now, the Colts don't have they don't have any glaring weaknesses. There's not a few spots in the team where you say, yeah, but, you know, there's not a you know, there's not a position group where you say, yeah, this might get us beat on a given Sunday. It's obviously there's some position groups that are deeper than others. There's no doubt about that. But there's no glaring weaknesses on the team from a depth standpoint. And you got to like that. And the Colts have been slowly building this thing under Chris Ballard since 2017. They've taken a smart patient approach. They've been pretty prudent in free agency. They've drafted well. I mean, they have at least nine draft picks every year since Chris has been there, which is a lot. And they're young, but they're building from within. And like I've said, they've been smart in free agency, but they understand now the window of opportunity is open heading into 2020. And I think that's why this offseason you saw them make some, I'm not going to say uncharacteristic moves, but some moves that have been um, a little bit more aggressive than in years past under Chris. You know, they go out and get Phillip Rivers. They think he's a game changer, a guy that can help take the team uh, from one level to the next. Same thing with DeForest Buckner, a really important position on the defensive line. Three technique, guy that kind of drives the ship on that side of the ball. You have to have a run stuffer, but a guy that can penetrate and, and get some pressure up the middle from, you know, his defensive line position. Um, they just haven't had that. You kind of need that position in, in order to really make a 4-3 defense work. So they did that. Really aggressive in the draft. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., big body receiver. They just haven't had that. They need that consistent number two wideout to complement T.Y. Hilton, especially with T.Y. getting a little bit up there, 30 years old in age, heading into a contract year. They bring in Jonathan Taylor, um, who, I mean, it's just, it's a really bold move. Didn't see it happening because they already had a great running game, great offensive line, a thousand yard rusher already in Marlon Mack, but they just decide, Hey, let's, let's get best player available. This guy is the best player available on our board by far. So let's go, let's go do it. How often do we get a, a chance to add an impactful player um, in the second round? That's still available. So they kind of rolled the dice. I'm not gonna say roll the dice, but they made an aggressive move uh, to, to kind of help, bolster a, a position in a, in a skill set on their offense that's already pretty strong in the running game. You know, they were a top seven rushing attack last year, over 2,000 yards rushing for the first time since 1994. So I think the moves the Colts have made this offseason have helped, you could argue, are, are going to potentially take the Colts to that next level to get them over the hump. And that's been the argument that Chris Ballard, I think, has silently made in the last couple of years, like, yeah, we've got cap space. We've got money to spend, but why, why spend it? If, if this guy is, is not going to help us, we have too many holes. We have, we're still kind of a work in progress. We're still a building team. You know, you kind of equate it to a house. You know, there's really no sense in putting in a brand new kitchen and a, in a state of the art entertainment unit. If, if the, if the foundation is bad, if you got, you know, leaky roof, you got to fix those things first before you really kind of, trick out the rest of the house. And I think that's what the Colts have done the last couple of years. And I think the last piece of the puzzle, so to speak, have been 
the impactful players at key positions like quarterback and Phillip Rivers, DeForest Buckner at the three technique, Xavier Rhodes at the cornerback position, Michael Pittman at a big body wide receiver, and then Jonathan Taylor that can be a one-one punch to complement Marlon Mack. Matt, you you mentioned, and you're talking about the Colts editions of Phillip Rivers, you mentioned how as Indianapolis Colts fans, we are very fortunate and we take it for granted to go from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. I want to ask you about our quarterback situation. Uh, a year after Andrew Luck's retirement, we did a year of Jacoby Brissett. He's still on the roster. We go and draft a quarterback in Jacob Eason and pick up Phillip Rivers. How do you? What do you think of the Colts QB situation? Well, I think it's. I think the Colts have done a nice job of navigating the quarterback situation about as best as they possibly can, given the fact that we're still about nine or ten months removed from a franchise quarterback abruptly retiring. Like, there's no perfect situation when that happens. And so I think Chris has let all of these things come to him. And you can't force quarterback. A lot of people thought they should have taken you – know, they, they should have stuck with, uh, with their pick at 13 and stayed there and drafted a quarterback or drafted a quarterback in the second or third round. If you do that and you're not high on a guy and you don't think he is – going to be a franchise quarterback or, and he's not going to fit your system. You just can't reach. If you do and you're wrong, it's going to set your franchise back, you know, three, four years, maybe five years, and you're going to be in a, in a worse off position than you are right now. And so I think what the Colts are doing, they saw a really unique and rare opportunity in free agency to bring in Phillip Rivers, who has franchise or has Hall of Fame uh, you know, qualities on his resume. He knows the system with Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni. So right away, he knows 85 to 90% of this offense already. So it's just a really unique situation to bring in a guy that is established 16 years in the NFL. There's nothing defenses can throw at him to, to kind of confuse him because he's been around the block multiple times. So you, you marry that with a roster that's ready to go with a roster that's ready to take off, right? Like I said, this this team is young, but the impactful players, most of the impactful players on this team are still under their rookie deals. And that's huge because eventually you're going to have to pay those guys, and that's where the salary cap comes into, into play here because, yeah, Chris has a lot of money to spend, but he wants to re-sign and develop and continue to to grow and hone his own guys, his draft picks. You know, some of the guys he's brought in since 2017. So that's what you have to think about when you're making all these moves. You know, let's bring in Phillip Rivers and try to get the most out of him while we have this roster that's ready to go, that's ready to take off and ready to win right now. And let's see how long this roster can play well. And let's see how long Phillip Rivers can play well. And let's try to get the most out of each other for as long as possible. It's a one-year deal. But kind of the spirit of it is it's 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 two years and it might turn into three if if 2021 goes well. Right. So it's kind of a wait and see approach. And the Colts certainly have guys in the draft they like, but weren't in a position to draft that guy. It's probably going to be the true next year. So I think when position of need and best player available, when those two things overlap in the draft, that's when you're going to see. Maybe the friend, you know, the, the quarterback of the future, the franchise quarterback of the future come in. But until then, the Colts are in a really good spot because they've got one of the best of all time. 
switching teams at this stage in his career that can still play that, that, you know, Frank Reich has no reservations over from a, from a physical standpoint. And we know about his mental aptitude. So let's get him in here now. That way it buys us some time to figure out what we're going to do long-term at quarterback. And that way we don't have to reach and make mistakes that are, that, that could potentially, you know, be a detriment to us in the long term. Right. I want to stick with Philip Rivers because a lot of teams have difficulties with, say, building chemistry in this time. And it, uh, Andrew and I both were reading an article before this about how Philip Rivers is starting to, you know, take command of some virtual team meetings, really try to get adapted with all his guys. And T.Y. Hilton was a big fan of that. I think it's got to help that not only we mentioned it, Rivers has an incredible offensive line. He's going to have time. And I think the addition of Pittman. You've got a lot of solid receivers that he can go to. So I got to ask overall, what do you see the ceiling is for Rivers, given the amount of talented players you have around him? Well, ideally for Phillip Rivers in this offense, with the way the the team and the offense has been built, I mean, hopefully Phillip Rivers doesn't have to do much because the running game should, you know, on paper be really good. You've got an offensive line, starting five offensive line unit that started every game last year. First time that's happened in, you know, since 2000, I think, for the Colts. Um, you've got two great running backs in, in Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. So I think an ideal game for the Colts is, you know, they run for 150 yards. Phillip Rivers is really efficient where he goes, you know, 15 for 22 for – you know, 200 yards and a couple of touchdown passes and you win a game, you know, 28 to 14 like that. That's that's kind of the motto that the Colts want to operate under. Um, but that being said, you know, we, we know Philip Rivers is a gunslinger. He's ultra efficient. You know, the kind of like the stereotypical Philip Rivers season is 4,200 yards passing, 25 touchdowns, hovering somewhere between 68 and 70 percent completion percentage. I mean, you guys watched enough Colts games last year. You guys are big enough fans to know. I mean, how many how many games were the Colts have won last year had they got those types of numbers? If they had 200 yards passing and, you know, they were somewhere between 65 and 70% completion percentage. You know, the Colts last year lost a lot of games in unique fashions. And I know the kicking, they had a lot, they had some kicking woes and, you know, that notwithstanding. But you know, there, there was times last year where the Colts would run for, a buck 60 win time of possession, not turn the football over control, you know, the main areas in the box score they need to win in order to win a football game and they will still lose. And the reason why they would lose is on defense, they'd give up some big plays, but on offense, they wouldn't have enough big plays. You know, the passing game just wasn't complimenting the running game. And when you run as effectively as the Colts did last year, it should be easier to pass the ball, you know, play action should right. be there. And the fact that it wasn't was kind of head scratching, but Phillip Rivers is, he's going to be efficient and he's going to get rid of the ball fast. He's got a quick release. He's going to get the ball into the playmakers hands like Paris Campbell and T Y and Marlon Mack, things like that. Naeem Hines out of the backfield that we, you know, we haven't even talked about Naeem Hines, but you know, if, if Philip, long story short, if Phillip Rivers, if, if, if he has to shoulder a, a game on the offense, you know, Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni, They've been with him long enough. They've seen it up close and in person. They know he can still do that. If he needs to sling the ball 40 times a game, if the, if, you know, if the team is selling out to stop the run, 
they know Phillip Rivers is capable of, of winning a game like that on a given Sunday. So that, I think that's what's most exciting about this offense is they want to be ground and pound. That's what they want to be about first and foremost. And I think Frank Reich is very patient to stick with the run. You know, most offensive coordinators, they get they get cute because they get tired of just running the ball. Not Frank Reich. He would prefer to save all those passing plays in his hip pocket and save those for another another game, you know, in, in another situation. But so if the Colts, if they can't run the ball, Phillip Rivers, I think, is going to be still at this at this stage in his career at age 38, 39. He's still going to be good enough to win a, a shootout where he has to toss the ball around the yard and win a close game, you know, 31 to 28. Right. Well, and Jonah and I, I was telling Jonah just before this, I think the Colts can go as far as Phillip Rivers takes them. You seem to be confident. The Colts seem to be confident in him. But you made a good point. Uh, they've got enough around him to like where they can make that easier for him. And so Jonah and I both think the Colts have a strong season ahead of them. But, uh, and thank you so much for all of your time because we know you, we've, we've used, used a bunch of it. And we could ask a lot more, but uh, it's all good. You points. guys fire away. I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> all righty then. Uh, I want to ask you about Adam Vinatieri because we had Red Straw on the show, and he said Adam Vinatieri is probably not making his way back to the Colts roster. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, knowing what we know right now, it's looking as if well, there's there's some things that. He's got some hurdles to overcome. Let's just put it that way. Um, You know, the Colts brought in Chase McLaughlin last year. He was a rookie out of Illinois, kind of bounced around the NFL a little bit before he got to the Colts, but really made the most of his opportunity in the last quarter of the season. Only missed one kick, was perfect on all of his PATs. Um, So that was big for him. And because of that, the Colts immediately signed him to a one-year deal as soon as the offseason started. but they want competition. And so what they've done uh, in uh, as an undrafted free agent, they brought in Rodrigo Blankenship out of Georgia. And he was one of the best kickers in college football last year. Uh, won the Lou Groza Award, which goes to the best kicker in college football. Was really, really accurate, really, really good, consistent, um, and was a coveted undrafted free agent. So the, the fact that he picked the Colts um, to come to initially says a lot about the situation that he thinks he can come into and possibly beat somebody out and get a job. So you got two really, really good and young kickers on the roster already. Plus, Adam Vinatieri is not under contract anymore. He's still a free agent. And he admitted that, you know, all of last year, most of last season, he was dealing with the knee injury. Not sure how much that played into his uh, ineffectiveness or inconsistencies. Um, you know, it was so weird, kind of on a tangent, so weird last year to watch him struggle um, and you just knew in the back of your mind there had to have been something going on. And then we find out at the end of the season he did indeed had a, ha, he did indeed have a, a knee injury for most of the year. Um, but he goes on IR, has uh, a procedure done in the off season right away, which which to me that told me that he wants to come back and at least give this another shot because I don't think you do that. I don't think you have surgery right away unless you have aspirations to come back at age 48 and prove that, you know, 2019 was kind of a fluke for his career. But the problem is, is, you know, COVID-19 hit and he hasn't been able to rehab like he needs to. He doesn't have all of the equipment. 
He doesn't have all the things at his disposal that he needs to in order to rehab efficiently. And he admitted that, um, you know, that, you know, this pandemic has thrown a wrench into how quickly he can get back up to speed. And I think ideally that would have been around this time of year, you know, late May, June, and then he would have to ramp it up again to, you know, build up his timing, build up his uh, conditioning, uh, build up his, you know, his, his physical stamina that he needs from a lower body standpoint to get back to where he normally is. And I don't think he is there yet because he's just not able to work out and have everything that he needs uh, because gyms are closed and he can't go to the Colts facility. He can't work out with Colts trainers. Um, they can't get their hands on him. So he's just kind of like stuck in limbo doing the best he can at this point. So I think it was going to be slow to get back to 100%, and now it's even slower because, you know, Adam Vinatieri just doesn't have all the resources that he's normally used to. Wow. Uh, well, no more Adam Vinatieri would certainly upset my dad and a lot of Colts fans who like the old guy on the team. And like Dred Rachetross said, maybe he ends up on another team midway through the season if there's an injury or if they're having some kicking issues. Maybe you could see him on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It wouldn't. It, yeah, well, it seems like all the you know, ex-Patriots guys are going down there, but it would not shock me. It would not shock me at all if Adam Vinatieri comes back and we see him, you know, I'm not ruling out the Colts. Maybe it's somewhere else, but knowing Adam the way I know him and I'm not around him all that much compared to the guys in the locker room, but I'm around him enough to know that he's one of the most competitive guys I've ever met, I've ever been around, and I know sure as heck he doesn't want to go out you know, missing 14 kicks like he did last year and having his lasting memory on an NFL field be a blocked field goal that was returned for a touchdown against the Titans. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, I want to ask about the tight end room really quick. Obviously, you know Ebron this year. He had an incredible year with luck and then took a step back last year. Injuries happened. Overall, what do you think about the tight end room? Because we have Doyle brought in Burton and the Colts have seemed committed to the development of Mo Ali Cox. But I got to ask you just for your thoughts on the tight end room. Yeah, that was, I mean, going into the draft, I know the draft wasn't all that incredibly deep at impactful tight ends. Um, but I thought it was kind of an under the radar, you know, position of need or, or something to kind of keep an eye on as we went through the draft. But right before the draft, kind of mid to late April, they signed Trey Burton. And now that now that the draft is over and they really didn't address that position all that much in undrafted free agency or the draft, it makes me think that they really like Trey. And it makes a lot of sense because Trey played with Frank Reich in Philadelphia, um, again, knows most of the system, uh, kind of caught a bad break in Chicago with some of the injuries, just didn't work out, signed a big deal after having a pretty good 2017 season where the Eagles played in the Super Bowl, and he was actually the guy that tossed that Philly special touchdown pass yeah. to Nick Foles against the Patriots. So he's always going to have that, you know, as a feather in his cap. But I think this is a guy that he's one of the he's one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL. If you go back and kind of watch some of his tape, and then if you look some at some of the analytics stuff, you know, Pro Football Focus, which is not the end all be all, but they had him two years ago when he was fully healthy as the best blocking tight end in the NFL. So. He's got that ability. He's undersized. You know, he's not a Travis Kelsey. He's not a George Kittle, but he's smart. And he's kind of like Jack Doyle in that regard. He's, he runs really good routes, has a high football IQ, 
um, and he's athletic for his size. So I still think he can get open and be a mismatch at times on the field. So I think that signing, you know, when it happened, you were like, okay, let's see what else they do. But I think, you know, the longer uh, and the further away we get from that signing kind of proves that they have a lot of faith, a lot of trust um, and some high expectations for Trey. And I'm not saying he's going to take over all the, you know, the, the, the role that, you know, the Colts had with Eric Ebron, but he, he might kind of fit that mold. He's a little bit more athletic, more agile, uh, a little bit more versatile than Jack Doyle. And we love Jack, but you know, Jack's not a field stretching tight end. He is, he's got sure hands and everything else to go along with it. But I think Trey Burton might be that, that guy where he plays 35% of the snaps. He's a situational player. He's really good on third down. He's going to be a force in the red zone, just like Eric Ebron. And like I said, there's really not a whole lot of learning curve coming into this offense and coming into this situation because he already knows, you know, uh, Frank Reich and, and most of what this system is all about. And we know how much Frank loves to incorporate and use the tight end. So I think that was kind of a, uh, this was an enticing move for Trey Burton to make in free agency. So you couldn't see a Antonio Dates coming out of retirement, uh, old chargers heading to the Colts. Yeah, well, that Philip Rivers connection, right? You never know. That would uh-huh. be something. That'd be awesome. I think, you know, I read, I, you know, you, you never know what's true and what's not, but I read a story last year where he was close. He was kind of hemming and hauling on his way through retri- uh, retirement and thinking about coming back. And maybe the Colts were in the mix just because, you know, it was a good situation, pretty good roster last year. And at the time you might be playing with Andrew Luck. Hey, let's, let's fast forward that bad boy, you know, a year or so. And, Philip Rivers is still getting it done. You never say never, but that would be that would be something. And you brought up Mo Ali Cox, Joan. I think you know Mo is still developing. You know, the thing about Mo, that guy's tough as nails, man. He played through a broken yeah. thumb most of last year, had surgery, but didn't miss a game. Didn't miss a single game. I mean, he's just a warrior. And let's you know, we kind of have to temper the expectations for Mo because he's a freak athlete, big body guy, incredibly talented but he's only been playing football for about three and a half four years you know he's a vcu basketball player so i think he's more a football player now than he ever has been but there's still some things there's still some nuance to uh to football that he's still figuring out and that's why he's leaning on jack doyle all the time asking questions getting better each and every year um but you know for whatever reason mo just wasn't I don't know. I don't know. He just wasn't in, 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 he wasn't an impactful player last year. He's only targeted 11 times, only had eight catches. I think, I think Mo's, I think he's poised for a breakout year to what degree. I don't know, but I think Mo can be a mismatch on the field and they can get more out of him than what they have used him for. Um, which in the past has been kind of jumbo packages, doubled, you know, two tight end sets, um, I think he can be a threat down the field in the passing game. He's got really good hands. He's got huge hands, to be honest with you. He's got like 11.7-inch hands, which is just mm-hmm. mammoth. So let's get the football in his paws, and let's let's have him be a little bit more uh, of a part of a passing game than what he's been used to. Right, and then I want to ask you about one more player on the other side of the ball, and that's Malik Hooker. Uh, we declined the option. Do you see Malik Hooker as a Cole after this year? Well, we have to wait and see, you know, because the Colts, obviously, they didn't give him that fifth-year option because they wanted to see more. They wanted Malik to prove it to them that he's worth it. And not to get in the weeds of, like, the financials and the business side of things, but people have to understand that the Colts 
could have given Malik Hooker that fifth year option. And it would not have been guaranteed until 2021, which meant that if he didn't play well this year, they still could have waived him um, and, and kind of moved on without having to give him that money, which which shows you that the Colts, bottom line, there wasn't a whole lot of risk to it, and they still didn't make that move, which shows you they want to see more consistency out of Malik. He's got some flash plays, and – you know, Chris Ballard at the end of the season was pretty honest. Somebody brought up Malik and he said, yeah, he had a good year, not a great year. And that's, that's in the, you know, that, that those are the words of the GM where, you know, he had some great moments, but we just want to see more. We want to see more physicality out of Malik. We want to see more um, impactful plays on defense. And, and that's, that's the thing is like, we, we, we judge offensive linemen by sacks allowed and we judge secondary players by, you know, passes defensed and interceptions. We don't see kind of the nuance of everything. So I think he gets kind of a bad rap there because people just look at the box score and they say, well, this guy's no good because he only had two interceptions last year. Well, we don't we don't see all the coverages. Not everybody's watching film. We don't see quarterbacks not throwing Malik's way because he's got people locked down in the secondary. So I think there's some some subtleties to Malik's game that people have to understand, but it is pretty clear from the Colts that they want to see more. They want to see more consistency and they just want to see him be the player that has a lot of the potential that he had coming out of Ohio state. And that's something that also is, is kind of forgotten when you think about Malik in, in college, he really only played. I wish I could look it up. I would, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like, you know, he had two years at Ohio State, and then his rookie season with the Colts, he tears his ACL. So I think between major college football and, you know, three-plus years with the Colts, he's only played in like 55-some games. I think it's like 55, 58 games. That's not a lot. You know, right. I think I think Kari Willis, between college football and the NFL, has more games started and games played than that. You know, so – the guy's still learning. I'm not making excuses for him, but when you talk about Malik, there's always, there's always like a, a you got you got to peel back the onion a little bit, and you got to look at it kind of in layers, and then you get to why the Colts made this decision to not give him that fifth year option, being a first round draft pick in 2017. All right, Matt, we've got a couple of fun questions for you before we get to our 60 second speed round. So first cool. question. Here we go. Uh, who is the most interesting Colts player that you've ever interacted with? Zach Kerr. No longer on the team, but he and I, we just had like this unspoken, well, it was a spoken bond, but like we just hit it off right away. Like we we, we talked about food and we had movie quote battles all the time. And he was just like a bubbly personality and a guy that was always willing to talk and do an interview. And he was insightful, well-spoken. Um, and I know he didn't have the great career with the Colts from a longevity or a production standpoint, but he was always one of my favorite guys to talk to in the locker room because he and I just kind of were the same guy, so to speak, in, in terms of like what our interests are off the field. What movies uh, and for quotes? Uh, we would go, you know, the classics. We would go like Forrest Gump, Shawshank Redemption, and then we would get kind of squirrely, like anything by Adam Sandler or Will Ferrell. You know, it's like. You know, it doesn't matter if it's stupid or not. If it makes you laugh, then that's all that matters. Like, I understand these movies are dumb and they make no sense and they're outlandish, but as long as they're entertaining and they're making me laugh, that's really all I care about. 
How about uh, for a current Colts player? Most interesting. Most interesting guy. Um, well, I, I've talked to Philip Rivers a handful of times. He's an incredibly interesting guy. <laughs> uh, Anthony Costanzo is always interesting. I mean, that guy has a lot of interests outside of football, and you can understand why he was kind of hemming and hauling and thinking about retirement. Um, let me pull up the roster here. I get this question a lot, and I can never because there's so many guys. There's so many guys I always forget about. So let me run down the roster here. Um, Costanzo's good, like I said. Jack Doyle's solid as they get. Just a really good dude from Indianapolis. And we we always talk about, you know, high school stuff with Ron Colley and Cathedral and that connection there. Um, Justin Houston's good. He's a good interview. Um, Ryan Kelly is just, I mean, that guy's a BA. He's just right to the point, all about business, but he gives you all the time you need. Darius Leonard's great. Um, Marlon Max good. Kenny Moore is good. Um, looking here, Bobby Okariki is really, really interesting. He interned for uh, Condoleezza Rice in, in college at Stanford. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, he's got some, maybe some political aspirations and, uh, a future ahead of him there. Um, Rigoberto Sanchez is good. Um, funny story about Rigoberto Sanchez, his wife will, snap him the ball in their living room. Like at night when they're just watching TV, she will snap him the ball in the living room so he can practice holding it. Amazing. He's the, he's the PAT and field goal kicker. Right. Yeah. So that's cool. Uh, let's see. Kari Willis is cool. Um, that's the thing. Like we, the Colts over the years, I can count on like, and I'm not going to tell you who the guys are, but I can count on maybe one hand, the, the number of like bad guys or guys that just like, you didn't enjoy being around and, and talking to. And I've been there nine years. So right. for the most part, you know, the Colts have had a good team as far as like a collection of just like good guys and good human beings to be around. How about your uh, favorite all-time Colt, uh, either growing up or covering the team? Uh, I was always, I always liked Marshall Falk. Um, and then you guys are probably too young for Eric Dickerson, but Eric Dickerson was like right on the, he was on the edge of like me becoming a Colts fan, you know, like in the late eighties when I was five and six years old. So I remember him. Um, yeah, a guy that's always been really, really good to me. Um, well, a lot of them, but Joe Wrights was good. And he's, I mean, Joe's still one of my really good friends. I mean, you know, we communicate very, very, you know, often frequent Darius. Isn't he? I'm sorry. Is he uh, announcing? He is like he's he's uh, helping us out um, during the season. He'll do some pregame shows with us and some Monday night recap shows with us. Um, Darius Butler was always great. Darius is you know he's a favorite of mine. Um, the problem with me is that I get to know these guys a little bit, so like I get like a personal connection to them. So when you say like your <laughs> favorite Colt, I just mean like like my favorite like guy. Like he's just a good right. solid dude and. And not, not not that I'm like great buddies with these guys because I think you have to kind of draw the line personally and professionally. Um, yeah. But I just you know th- these are just really really good guys that are just that have always just been good to me. So that's that's kind of like my criteria on on how I answer these questions. Okay. Last thing, uh, you mentioned that you can do some impressions that you picked up on as a kid growing up. 
Uh, can you do some of those for us? <laughs> so growing up, you know, I, my my pops is a huge IU guy, you know, basketball and football. So Woo-hoo. we always we we always had uh, Don Fisher on in the car. So Don Fisher, you know, calling calling IU games. You know, you'd have. Uh, you have Peyton Ramsey in the shotgun formation now. Two receivers to his right. Takes a shotgun snap. Throws in the pocket. Down the field. And it's caught for a touchdown. Peyton Hendershot in the back of the end zone in Indiana. He always said Indiana has a six-point advantage now over Purdue. It's now 17-11 to with 3.05 to go here at the Indiana Memorial Stadium. That's awesome. Time out of the field. Indiana's got the football when we come back. This is Indiana University football from Learfield Sports. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that was perfect. Some of the older people might get a better kick out of that, but yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, growing up, watching, watching, you know, NBA games, and then, uh, you know, the Westwood One coverage of, of Monday Night Football, I always picked up on Marv Albert. You guys know Marv Albert. He's still doing games, you know. It's the NBA on NBC, brought to you by Geico. And today hey. it's the Indiana Pacers and the Chicago Bulls from the United Center. Reggie Miller and the Pacers against Michael Jordan outside of the UC in Chicago. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. Westwood won Bengals football. And we'll take a quick time out and now a word from AutoZone. <laughs> Marv Albert joining ST squared. That's right. That's right. So uh, yeah, there was come. I mean, you know, again for your older crowd, Joe McConnell, you know, Purdue football, uh, sitting at the thirty-two yard line against the Wisconsin defense that stacked today, and their four-three. Uh, Wisconsin is in their red uniforms. Purdue in the uh, all gold and the uh, Purdue helmets. And uh, under center is Travis Dorsch and takes a shotgun. Actually, it's Drew Brees. Brees drops the throw and connects over the field, middle with uh, Roger Stanford. And Stanford up the field for the 45-yard line for a gain of 13 and a Purdue first down. Very nice. Like that's, that, that, like that's, that's probably my best one and probably the most obscure because just the younger generation, my, my friends, they don't remember Joe, but Joe was, Joe was the best. There's no doubt about it. Huh. All right, we want to finish up then with what we like to call the 60-second speed round. 60 seconds, obviously, and we have about 10 questions written down, so you get through as many as you can. And if you finish, great. So I'm going to start the timer. Are you ready? Ready. All right, favorite restaurant in Indianapolis? Uh, South of Chicago Pizza. All right, favorite all-time Cincinnati Reds player? Barry Larkin. Favorite stadium to be in other than Lucas Oil? Lambeau Field. Favorite movie? Back to the Future, the trilogy. Favorite song artist? Uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Do you have a favorite book? Uh, I guess you would say uh, Season on the Brink and then um, The Machine about the Cincinnati Reds. All right, what is your favorite non-sports-related activity? Mm. (laughs) I think... I think I'm damned by this question because all my favorite activities surround sports. And that's why I'm dying here during this pandemic. Um, Maybe I need a new personality. Um, (laughs) I like, uh, I just like chilling, man. I'm, I'm just so chill. I like, uh, I like boating. Um, You know, just open up a cold one on the back deck, listen to some music. I'm a, I'm a huge music guy. Um, I could probably jive with some of your parents in terms of music and their, 
their taste. I'm kind of an old soul as far as that goes. So I would just say relaxing, hanging out, and uh, just kind of taking it easy. Right. And then time's up, but I got to ask you one more. If you could pick any superpower, what would it be? Be invisible, for sure. Awesome. Be invisible. The invisible man. Huh? The invisible man. All right. Well, Matt Taylor, everyone, thank you so much for joining us on Small Town Sports Talk. I hope you know that uh, Jonah and I really appreciate you coming on and help us, helping us out a lot. Ah, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, this was fun. You guys you guys call anytime and would love to do it again. Thanks for thinking of me. Yep. Thank, thank you to our listeners for listening. If you have made it this far, remember to follow us on Twitter at ST Squared 2. And you can listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. I am Andrew Willett with Jonah Freeman, and today, Matt Taylor. Thank you for listening. That's ST Squared.